0: Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. This episode features David Luff. I was just thinking today, I wonder if we will ever completely realize what has been accomplished through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was mentioned this morning that it has covered everything. Early in this camp, it was ministered from the first chapter of Second Peter, that we have, have been given us everything that we need for life and godliness, but you know, as these young people, mostly most of them were young people that came up for prayer the other night, I had the question in my mind. I just wondered: Have you ever, have you ever been somewhere? Maybe it's at a function or or in a class maybe in a class a class a school situation or even in the church where everybody was talking about something that it seemed like everyone else understood it except you I have I have been in that situation where it seemed like everyone knew what was going on and what they were talking about. And it made me feel like I ought to know what they're talking about. But because I didn't know what they were talking about, I was embarrassed to say, I really I don't know what y'all are talking about. And sometimes I wonder if even in the church... Are things sometimes talked about that you say to yourself, You know, I've heard that over and over, but I can't really say I still know what they're talking about. That has happened to me more times than I would like to admit, but it has happened. I wonder, have you ever taken anything apart just to see how it works? Have you ever taken a clock apart, or a watch apart, or uh, an automobile engine apart, or a washing machine, or whatever, you, whatever, just to see how it works? You know, sometimes kids will do that. They'll take their toys apart just to see how it works. And sometimes I wonder when we speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the thing that has been accomplished, it's, it's almost as if within that within that that little microcosm, if you will, exists all the energy and everything that is necessary for us to enter into life and into the kingdom. It's all in that area. (laughs) I think about, I don't know much about this, I don't know all the physics about it, but I understand that that within the atom, there is a tremendous amount of energy just in that little atom. But when they split that atom as they do in producing nuclear power, nuclear energy, or an atomic bomb as was detonated over Nagasaki and Hiroshima, it is tremendous how much power and force is locked up inside that little atom. And as I think about the things that we have heard in this camp and we have heard camp after camp if we've heard meeting after meeting we've heard year after year we have heard these things and they are true but sometimes I wonder have we really have we ever really taken it apart to really see how it works because God wants us to know these things he wants us to be able to to understand these things. There are things that our brother said we receive with our heart and we know that they're true, but there is still sometimes a gap between what we know in our heart and what we have finally been able to get our minds around to at least some degree and say, Now I understand. And I was thinking about these young people as they came up here the other night and as we prayed for them and as we told them things. We said, you know, the Spirit of God is in you. The Jesus Christ lives in you. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You can do... And, and sometimes, you, sometimes you get a little bit of that blank stare back that makes me wonder, did they really hear, did they understand what, they, what was being said? I have been in that place. I have had that blank stare because I didn't, I wanted to understand, but I didn't really fully understand. Well, tonight, I will do a poor job of it, I'm sure, but I would like to just share a few things that have been a help to me, and maybe it will be a help. To you this is this is kind of my life story in 30 minutes i was i was shaping in iniquity and born in sin i experienced in my early life in my boyhood life i experienced transgressing against the law of god They may have not been what the world would consider big things, but I knew in my heart, in my conscience, if you will, that I was transgressing the law of God. And it was a miserable, miserable feeling. And one day, one day there came that time, kind of in and out, in and out, and there came that day in which I settled it once and for all and I confessed my sin, and I laid myself bare before the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I said, save me. And he did. And I think about, you know, I was thinking about taking things apart to see how they work. It seems to me that that's what the Apostle Paul did for us in the book of Romans. He began to, to begin to take this wonderful salvation, Christ dying, shedding His blood, saving us for our, from our sins, uh, letting us die vicariously with Him, filling us with the Holy Spirit. He kind of went through it and broke it down for us, so we could see how it works. And so. I'd like to just take some verses kind of as we go through a few, of, a few of the chapters of the book of Romans. And you turn with your Bible with me. I am going to be reading from the NIV. It might be a little bit difficult for you to follow. But we're just, I just have some verses selected. And the first thing I want to talk about is that place where we finally came to that realization that we were sinners and we needed a Savior. Romans, the third chapter, beginning with the twenty-first verse. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I don't care what you have done or where you are or how long you have or have not walked with the Lord. We all start at the same place. We all start at the foot of the cross. There is no difference in any of us. Not one difference whatsoever. We all have to start at that place. No matter what you've done, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little, makes no difference. The law requires perfection. We can't do it. So Jesus died for all of us. Praise God. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. We are justified by one thing, faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans the fourth chapter and the seventh verse, it said, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. What the salvation of Christ has accomplished for us is the forgiveness of our sins of the past, of the present, and of the future. We must, we must be able to 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 recognize, grasp, and receive that and believe it as a fact, because it's true. Chapter four, verse twenty five. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, just if we'd never done it. I want to turn to Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if when we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? What a wonderful salvation. Free, a free gift, totally based on unmerited grace and mercy of God Himself. If that were all, that would would seem that would be enough. But the Apostle Paul begins to to take some more layers off the onion, if you will. And we go into chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, I I thought about that and I was thinking, how many of us can say that after we were saved, we never ever committed another sin? I can't. The Apostle Paul understood that. He had laid out the salvation message and I think encapsulated in that if we fully understood everything about it, perhaps it, we wouldn't have sinned. But he knew the Lord Jesus, I'm sure, had revealed to him, Paul folks are going to do that. And you need to tell, you need to teach him about this. So he says, shall we, continue, shall, we, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You know, after we're saved, we have that wonderful feeling of freedom. But before we know it, we're, we're going back and we're doing things that we really know we shouldn't do. And whenever we transgress the commandments of God, that's sin. And we, we have to call it what it is. And we have to face up to it. So after Paul said that, he said this, By no means... We died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? So, he goes on to say how. He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You know, this is an important thing. We'll begin to see now how important death is. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about this aspect of death spiritual, in a spiritual sense. He's not talking about physical death here. There was a physical death for Christ, but he was talking about a different kind of death for us. And as I was meditating on that, I was just, I was thinking about this fact that that there is an actual death that has occurred because we were crucified with Christ. It is not some sort of spiritual suicide or some kind of mind over matter. I am convinced there is a death certificate in heaven with my name on it that says, I died with Christ. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm still alive, but yet I'm dead too. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So there was this there was this death that occurred. And so Paul begins to tell us, you know, as you begin to experience this tendency to sin, the sin that's in your members, the, the, the part of you that wants to sin, you don't have to do that anymore. You are dead with Christ. I was thinking when... When young people or whenever, whoever, graduates from high school or graduates from college, you go across the stage and, and they hand you a diploma. And there's a rejoicing in that. Well, you know, we should pick up that death certificate from God and frame it and hang it on the wall in our house and remind ourselves that we are no longer alive to the to the tendency of sin. Go, we have been crucified with Christ. It is necessary for us to be reminded of that fact as we go through our daily life. Verse 5, If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him, so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now I want you to notice something here in verse 6. He says, "...so that the body..." the body of sin might be done away with. What he is dealing with us on here in chapter 6 is the action or the activity of sin itself. The individual sinning that we participate in by our own choice. And he says, "Those, those members that want to do that have been crucified with Christ. And there has been a resurrection. Just like that diploma, that celebration of graduation, there is a celebration of that that we experience. And what's it called? Water baptism. That's exactly what we experience. And that's a, a, a public declaration of when we go down into the water and when we come out of the water, there is a death and there is a resurrection into newness of life. Praise God. If you go on and read through chapter 6 of Romans, you will find the whole theme of that chapter is the relationship of master to slave and slave to to master. He, he says, and I'll just paraphrase this, that before we were saved, we had no choice except to work for the, for the slave of sin, as a slave for sin. But now we have a new master. We have a master, Jesus Christ, that we don't have to serve that master anymore. Now, I know you've, you've, you've all heard this. This is absolutely nothing new but i want you to see as we go through this thing how paul continues to take other layers off the onion then we get to chapter 7 chapter 7 is an extremely important chapter don't ever despise romans chapter 7 we don't we don't want to have our living our home address in chapter 7. But if we don't learn the truths of chapter 7 and try to jump from 6 to 8, we're going to miss something very important. I want to start reading from verse 1. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still active, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress even though she marries another man. Now, what we have here is a love triangle. We have a man, a husband, and we have a woman who is married to that husband. She is his wife. And then we have another man. Now, let's just get the picture of what's going on here. This husband is a very righteous, pious man. We cannot say that anything about this man is wrong. The problem is that his expectations are so high that his wife cannot meet them. And so she lives a defeated, failed, depressed life because she cannot meet the demands of this righteous husband. And so she sees this other man over here who she has, let's say, has fallen in love with. Now, the interesting thing about this other man is is that his expectations are just as high, yea, even higher than her husband. But the big difference is is that he's going to feel, fulfill all the demands that he has for her. You can see why she would like to be married to him instead of the man she is married to. So we go through this thing, and, and, and so it says, you know, if this husband would just die, I could marry this other man. Okay, now let's stop here for a second. Who is the husband? The law. Who is the wife? Us. Who's the other man? Christ is the other man. Here's the a, here's a thing. If this man would just die, she could marry Christ. But here's what it, here's what Matthew five eighteen says, Verily, verily I say unto you. Until the earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle shall pass away from the law, until everything is fulfilled. It looks like the husband is in good shape. He is healthy. It looks like that he can live forever. There's not m- he hangs on to life tenaciously. So what's her choice? How can she be freed from the marriage law? He's not going to die. She has to die. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Death is very important. This is not... A lot of times I have heard the term... Dying to self, dying to self, dying to self. That's not the kind of dying that we're talking about here. This is a dying of frustration. It's a dying that says, I give up. I cannot please you. I can't get married. I'll just die. I'm done. I've tried everything. I've done everything I can to try to please you, but I cannot do it. I admit that I can't do it. Your not your demands don't change. It's not like you're, you know, every time I do something well, you, you know, you ratchet up. It's just the same. It's right there all the time. It never changes. The demands of God never change because He is righteous and holy. And that's the way it is. So she comes to the point where she says, the only way I can be freed from that is just to die. And so that's what we do. We die. And we go back and we can remember what Paul said in the sixth chapter. He said, we have been crucified with Christ. But we forget that. And so we get into the seventh chapter and we start seeing this place where there is that frustration because we cannot keep the law. The funny thing is about it, God did never intend for us On our own to be able to keep the law. And we know that in our heads, but somehow we keep thinking every time, if we just try one more time and we try a little bit harder this time, that I believe I can beat it. But we never do. Now, he goes on to emphasize this. He kind of puts the icing on the cake here, beginning with verse 14 of the 7th chapter of Romans. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work that when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. You see, something has changed here. Now, Paul is at this place where his, his desire has changed. He doesn't want to keep doing the things that he did before. He wants to be free from that. But he finds this law at work in his members. I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against, <clears throat> against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members what a wretched man i am who will rescue me from this body of death what we have here is paul by his will or will power is seeking to please god and to keep the commandments. And yet, after having gone through chapter 4, 5, and 6, here we are in chapter 7, and he's still struggling with this. Now, I've wondered at times whether Paul really struggled with this, or was this a dramatization to make a point? I don't know. But I know that my experience is exactly as is written in chapter 7. Maybe yours is not. Be wonderful if it weren't. But mine, I, 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 I have found myself in this last passage of Romans chapter 7. But there is something in here that I had never seen before. And it has made a huge difference in my life. What is going on here is a clash between Paul's will and the moral, absolute law of God. Now, what is the will of man? Pardon? Yeah, in a nutshell, that's what it is. And it's not all bad. I mean, there is a force behind the will, the human will. If I will to walk, I walk. If I will to eat, I eat. If I will to do this or that, I do it. There is a force, a natural force within me that lets me carry out the will that I have. Now, we typically think of the law, the, the law of God as a as a legal thing, and it is. There is legal There is legal status to the moral law of God. But what Paul is talking about here is a different way of looking at the law. Let's take, for instance, a a natural law that we're all familiar with. The law law of gravity. Everybody's familiar with the law of gravity, right? Simply stated, what goes up must what? must come down. If I drop this pin here from this height right here in North Battleford, it's going to fall. If I drop it in Tennessee from this same height, it's not only going to fall, but the time that it takes it to fall is going to be exactly the same as it takes in North Battleford. If I drop it in India or anywhere else, it's going to do exactly the same thing. A natural law is a law because it, the, it happens the same way every time. That's why it's a law. It's a natural law that says it's always going to happen this exactly this way. I've thought about, I've heard... I wasn't here when it was done, but I have heard different ministries speak when they are teaching about prophecy. They have said that there was a little boy that stood up in a a prophecy during the time of prophecy and with a loud voice says, it is impossible to please God. Now what he's misquoted was Hebrews 11.6 that says without faith. It is impossible to please God. But I am going to confess to you that when I have found myself at the end of Romans 7, I have said to myself many times, it is impossible to please God. Because I have tried and I've tried and I've tried. Not in every area, but there seem to be specific areas in my life that, is, that try as hard as I might. I might might be successful once, I might be successful twice, maybe three times, but eventually, the fourth time, I'm going to fail. Because the natural law is always going to best the human will. And that's what he's saying here, that's what he's saying about the moral law of God it is a law not because of it, not just because of its legal status, but because it will happen the same way every time. It will never fail. If I decide for a moment that I'm going to touch the ceiling of this tabernacle, you think I can do it? Well, I'm going to try. Well, I failed. Whenever the will comes in contact or or in conflict with the law, the the will can succeed initially, but in the end, the law will always win out. Just like when I jumped for about three-tenths of a second, I overcame the law of gravity. But it didn't last very long until the law finally won out. I can I could stand here and say I'm going to hold this bible up it probably weighs about a pound I'm going to hold it up forever you know and I can hold it up for a good while some of you young men out there could probably hold it up a lot longer than I can I don't know how long I could hold it I don't know I'd maybe hold it a pretty good while but eventually it'll start coming down and I won't be able to hold it. Eventually, my will will not be enough to overcome the natural law of gravity. And so that's why Paul at that point said, what a wretched man that I am. What possibly can I do? I am frustrated. I am discouraged. I am despondent. What What else can I do? And then we come to Romans chapter 8. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Remember that there is, you remember that Paul said there was this law working in his members. It was a law not just because of its legal status, but because of its repeatability. Over and over and over he had proved that. But then when we get to the 8th chapter of Romans, he said, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, listen to this, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Do you ever stop to think about it that the spirit of Christ is a law. It's just like it has the, the it has power just like a natural law has. It's not just something that happens. There, there is a law that says it is going to defeat the law of sin and death every single time, because it is a law. And we need to recognize that when the Spirit of God lives in us, it's not just the Spirit of God, it is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has set us free from this other law of sin and death. That can liberate us, saints of God, if we recognize that it is... it it, it It can overcome. It is one law overcoming another law. We spoke a minute ago about the law of gravity. Can the law of gravity be overcome? Well, perhaps. And I I want to do something to sort of help you remember this. These balloons are filled with helium. If I let them go... They're going up. The law of buoyancy has overcome the law of gravity. The thing about gravity is there has to be a some amount, a minimum amount of mass for gravity to work on it, to hold it down. And helium defies that. Saints of God, that's, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. If somehow God can make this real in your hearts, then to walk in the Spirit, and this is what I struggled with for so long. I kept wanting to say, how do you walk in the Spirit? Everybody keeps saying, just walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. What did that mean? How could I do that? I kept coming back to say, eventually I'd say, Lord, you know, it's me that's got to do the walking, so I guess it's still up to me to do it right and not do it wrong. And finally I got to the place where it was just like, it's impossible to please God. But it's not impossible. He had me right where He wanted me. I could just see Him chuckling and said, now you understand. There is no way that you can do this. There is no absolutely no way. You can try all you want to and I, you know, I'll just stand here and let you do it until you get frustrated enough, until you get discouraged enough to say I'm not going to live this way any longer. I give up. And God says that is exactly where I want you to be. I don't, want you, I don't want you straining and, 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 and chafing at the bit. That's, what kind of a life would that be? But yet, we try to live it that way. We're not necessarily conscious that we're doing it, but we are. We're doing it that way. And what he says is, I don't want you to do that anymore because I have given you my spirit. And then it's almost like you go back and he said, I died for your sins. I crucified you with me. I resurrected you with Christ. I married you. You died and I married you. Now I'm your husband. And then to top it off, he says, I have placed within you not just the Spirit, but the law. Of the Spirit of Life in Christ Jesus, which says it will can be repeated every single time that we will let Him repeat that, and it has changed my life. Once that has, once that finally that light came on to me, when I feel that sense of discouragement, or when I feel that frustration, or when I feel that temptation, I say, Lord, I am crucified with you. There is a law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus in me. Settle down. Relax. I don't, I don't worry about if my heart is beating at, at a particular rate. I don't worry if my eyes are blinking at the right weight to, to cleanse the eyeball. It just happens. And when we when we abide in Christ, I was thinking about when Jesus left the when he left the upper room on his way to the Mount of Olives, to, 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 on his way to be tried and crucified, they passed through this, this vineyard and he stopped. And he probably preached perhaps the most profound sermon, the last lesson, real lesson that he taught his disciples. And he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Unless you abide in me, you can do nothing. But what does abide mean? It just means just live. Just abide. Just exist. Don't strain. Don't stress. Don't work. Just, just fall into the arms of Jesus. I was thinking about when, we, when the communion is prayed over, and I was thinking of what Jesus said. He said... You no, know, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And I got to thinking, if, if his body was broken and I am in him, then my body is broken into a zillion pieces, never to be put back together the same way ever again. When I take communion, now, I think about that. I think about my body is broken. That old body of sin has been broken into a million pieces, never be put back together again. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. When you come tonight to be prayed for, for whatever it is, for healing, for, for struggles, for whatever it is of any kind, I want you to remember this: these purple balloons that represent the, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Come relax. Rest and come. Don't come thinking, oh, what if I don't have enough faith? Or what if I don't do this? Or what if, what if I can't believe? Or what?" You, it's not up to you. You put it back on the One who lives within you. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, it's a law that says it will happen every time. And you can depend on it. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You... We thank You for Your wonderful provision for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You for, to at least a degree, unraveling some of these things for us so that we can see, we can begin to understand why things happen the way that they do. And to realize that what You have provided takes care of all of those things. That it is time for us to come to that place of rest in Christ Jesus. That we will rest from our own works and our own labors and and trying and striving and stressing and working and just come and be at peace and rest and let You work through us. Lord, we are thankful for all You have done for us. We're thankful for the way that You teach us and lead us and guide us. And Father, as we go into this time of prayer, we pray that as Your people come with their various needs, or as they sit in their pews with various needs, that they will just relax. Just somehow know that the law of the Spirit of life has overcome the law of sin and death. We no longer are responsible to care for ourselves. It is our responsibility to fall into the arms of Jesus and quit trying so hard to do these things in our own strength. Father, we know this in our heads. Make it real to us in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like more information about the moving of God's spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.